Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show, Season 2, Episode 140 for May 20th, 2023. Sinking skyscrapers, SanDisk SSDs, Microsoft merges, and more news. Tonight's rundown is going to be a little awkward because two seconds into, well, presenting all of this, I started an update. Anyway, the first article we're going to talk about are uh, New York City skyscrapers that are sinking and climate change is going to make it worse. Sand, and then we're going to talk. I'll just go through the rundown. <laughs> SanDisk Extreme SSDs are failing. Microsoft and China um, are on the same page, I guess, with Activision Blizzard's merger. The United States uh, has returned the Earth Monster Olmec sculpture to Mexico the um, there's some copyright infringement involving prepared food photos and uh, there's a discussion about clear-cut win for artists or a stifling effect on artistic creation how this new uh, Warhol Supreme Court decision panned out a company called Chainlink wants web 3 to provide cryptographic guarantees to the world we're going to talk about how to boost your metabolism. Apparently, age has nothing to do with it. Apple is touting $2 billion in app store fraud prevention. There's going to be increased or elevated risk of blackouts this summer in the United States, and it's a lot. And finally, a New York University fired two employees after they included their pronouns in work emails. Let's get into today's show. Hello, hello. I am Marawat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI. That keeps me in check. I want to say hi. Good evening, hometown citizens, and happy Bee Day. Happy Bee Day? World Bee Day, I should say. It's World yeah. Bee Day? It is. That just kind of makes you want to talk about bees. I, I, I didn't plan around bee. The whole show is a lie. Uh, we need to work. You need to send me this absolutely imperative messaging. I, I need to promote bees. It's World Bee Day. However, I just learned it was World Bee Day about at 9 p.m. <laughs> so it's, it's World <laughs> Bee Evening. <laughs> and for much of the world, yesterday was World Bee Day. Got it. Well, for those of you that want to read about bees, there's an article today in hometown called Bees Can Do So Much More Than You Think, From Dancing to Being Little Art Critics. And and stinging me and putting people in anaphylactic shock. No, I love bees. No, bees are awesome. Wow, that's pretty cool. I didn't know. We, we are kind of fascinated by bees here. I found out recently that bees don't actually make um, hexagonal 
cells. They actually make round ones, but their chubby bodies force it into the most efficient shape, which is a hex. It's pretty cool. Um, I know that now that there are solitary bees that need little bee bricks. It's a bunch of different odd shaped holes in certain types of bricks. And those bees um, like to make nests in those little or hives in those little holes. It's I mean, can cool. you blame them? The other ones look so crowded. That's true. There are a lot. And everybody's buzzing around all the time. Sometimes you want your alone time and you just can't do that. Yeah. All right. So, hey, a um, couple of things here. Get closer to the camera, folks. I, I need to talk with you. Okay. Hey, okay. come on. Come a little closer. Okay. I messed up yesterday. <laughs> I'll come clean. A feature that I rolled out yesterday has been removed um, because I I uh, I I pushed it out a little too fast, <laughs> and uh, the site suffered from that, and so I had to uh, roll it back a little bit. Now we're probably at ninety nine percent of our original capacity. Not a big deal, ultimately. Um, but it will mean a little bit more of a delay. I should have stuck to my original timetable and pushed it to next week like I was going to, but I was really excited about this feature where you can hide and save articles and they don't show up on the front page anymore. That way you can go back in history and look at the ones that you thought were interesting. Um, and um, I because I love the feature, we really are going to be rolling it out. It's just going to take a little bit longer. Now, probably later in next week. So anyway, we've we're remedying the problem, but there might be a further issues down the line. Yeah, that was an interesting discovery this morning. The site <laughs> was still operational, but it was slowing down at any rate. Um, we've already selected all 11 of our articles. You know, the music is really quiet. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I like having a background sound for y'all. Um, let's get into today's articles. Already selected 11 of them. One thing though, that I'm going to draw a little bit more attention to this time is um, I am pulling um, our voting system directly into Omtown away from um, what you call it, uh, Showbot. Showbot. So, yeah, we used to have Showbot, but um, it's still there. But I wanted to incorporate the voting system into uh, Omtown itself. So here now you can vote, and you can have multiple votes all on for the articles that you are interested in this style will change um, these aren't links so if you click on it it won't actually take you to the site but neither did the other one um, but i will work on that to make it so that you can actually follow the link straight over to the article um, and tonight i'm going to i won't be posting them into the um, chat uh, but i will into the show notes so you can go back and, and follow the articles that you find interesting. This will get remedied um, probably this weekend. 
um, tomorrow's show, I will be posting the um, links, the URLs into the chat as per usual. So, okay, enough of the inside baseball and the grousing about uh, my mistakes. So let's get into today's articles. So the very first article is something that I've actually been following various um, content creators over on YouTube, talking about New York City, talking about Florida, talking about various other locations of buildings that um, seem to have some engineering problem. Uh, this article says New York City skyscrapers are sinking the city and climate change may make things worse. So. The little snippet says a new study by the United States Geological Survey found the city is sinking at a rate of about one to two millimeters per year. Although certain parts, Lower Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens and Northern Staten Island are sinking at a faster rate of 2.75 millimeters each. That's per year. So what is that? It's pretty fast. You it don't seems want pretty fast. You don't want your island, you know, sinking. <laughs> Let me see. Especially something. if you live or work there. Yeah, I mean, it'll take. Well, this will will take like ten years or so, a little shorter than ten years, eight years for you to sink an inch. But a building that's pulled one way or another an inch is pretty significant. I'd be worried about this, um, but prices aren't sinking in New York. So I guess there's the upside. Get your money while you can. Well, they might start sinking if this gets out. I, so I've said too much already. Sebastian Rodriguez over at TheVerge.com put this article together. It says here in New York City is sinking at a rate of about one to two millimeters per year, but other places are sinking at 2.75 millimeters per year. Um, a new study. So I wonder actually how long they've actually been studying this to actually detect that it's sinking one to two millimeters. I mean, hopefully more than a year, um, but hopefully not too long before they sounded the alarm <laughs> and the article actually hints at the other side of this because it's not just a candle burning burning on one end it's on both ends because uh, sea level is rising so if sea level is rising and the island is sinking and it's much faster. So New York City has had a much faster rate of about 1.2 inches per decade. By 2050, sea levels are expected to rise uh, by 8 to 30 inches, depending on how much the world limits greenhouse gas emissions. So it's sinking is nothing compared to the impact of climate change. Yeah, I'd be more worried about that than anything else. I wonder what's going to happen to other, like the Gulf region, if it's uh, oh. rising by 30 inches by 2050 in various other areas. Right. Well, the other problem here is, although I assume places like Manhattan are entirely built up, if they're continuing to do construction, it's not going to be a constant rate. 
No. I, I can... You know what? I'm actually going to throw them into chat after all. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting because the island's going to be sinking. Well, I hate saying it like that, you know. Um, but Manhattan is an island. Um, so, I mean, if it's sinking a little bit, and I don't know about how much is sinking, you know, not just Manhattan, but the surrounding area is sinking as well. The more pressure you put on it, the faster it's going to sink. Exactly. Hmm. That's interesting. It says here every but, additional I mean, high-rise... I like I said, millimeters, maybe a little bit faster is not a big concern. Yeah, I mean, it'll take a decade to do one inch compared to 8 to 30 inches for sea level rise. But they hit on what you just said. Every additional high-rise building constructed at coastal, river, or lakefront settings could contribute to future flood risk. So it's it's an ongoing concern, but it just doesn't seem like people really pay attention or care about that kind of stuff. And you just deal with it. But I've read about people buying property in Florida and then being just aghast that they find out that they're in a floodplain. Yeah, you got to read your documents. Well, right, and look at the sea level where you are. I mean, yeah. But yeah, that's usually disclosed, at least in modern um, real estate transactions. Maybe not if you bought decades ago. Yeah. Yeah. So it says, while the study focuses on New York City, the problem goes well beyond just the Big Apple. Major cities on every continent, except Antarctica, are observed to be subsiding, uh, according to the paper. But the coastal cities in particular are facing an increased risk of flooding at the global, as um, the global climate warms. Yeah, and it, it has. there. If you do a search for a diagram of global warming, there's usually one that's like in little circles, and it gets... Uh, wider and wider and uh, darker red and so you end up basically having this spiral leading to an increase in global ambient temperature and as soon as it hits I think it's 1.5 C higher um, it's basically going to be catastrophic to the environment Right. And by the way, that's also been in the news recently, and they think we're actually going to hit that, uh, I think, pretty soon. Yeah, great. That's exactly I don't mean I like today, but at least in the near future. Yeah, I'm going to leave the, uh, the freezer door open so that I'm doing my part. All right, let's go on to the next article. So this is not welcome news for those of us who have... Uh, SanDisk SSDs. Uh, SanDisk customers have been complaining about the company's extreme and extreme pro portable SSDs suddenly wiping data and in some cases becoming unreadable. Complaints go back at least four months and SanDisk uh, told ours that a, a firmware fix is coming soon, quote unquote soon. However, right, SanDisk... Right, but don't worry about your SSD failure in the meantime. <laughs> correct. And then when you do the... When you go to do the fix... That's when it crashes. So it says, however, uh, SanDisk only confirmed a firmware update for the four terabyte models, despite an R staffer and online users reporting issues with two terabyte drives. And it says, um, well, there's more over at the article at, at uh, arstechnica.com. 
Sharon Harding is the author. Ours actually apparently saw two terabyte units become unreadable, but SanDisk confirms four terabyte troubles. Um, these are the external SSD SSDs, not the ones that are plugged in. I I'm not sure though, you know, it's basically the same tech. So, <laughs> right. So maybe it's beyond this model? and just hasn't manifested entirely for everybody. Um, but this is kind of one of our PSA series kind of thing. If you have an extreme or extreme pro portable SSD, I would be a little bit careful with it. Maybe back it up to some other drive in the meantime, because you don't know when it's going to fail. Um, and don't put really critical stuff like uh, baby photos or whatever on it. <laughs> yeah, that, that would probably be bad. Um, or at least make a copy of it somewhere else. So, I mean, come on, they're, they're digital files. You can push this stuff everywhere. It's not that big of a deal. Just get it into a safe location so that if it does fail, at least you're not out everything like, I don't know, honeymoon pictures or something like that. I know nothing about that kind of stuff. Anyway, Lee's story is up in the article. Um, Lee Hutchinson confirmed suffering not one, but two two terabyte extreme pros dying after fire, after filling about halfway. Each drive saw a slew of read and write errors, and when he disconnected and reconnected the SSD, it showed it was unformatted with the drive completely wiped, including its file system. And wiping and reformatting didn't help. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a software thing and they'll be able to firmware update it and it'll actually be recoverable. Um, but it seems like some type of logic issue that something was hit and that gate just slammed shut and now it's unreadable. So when ours contacted SanDisk about the issue, the company representative said that they had some knowledge of it and that they're going to release a firmware update soon. That should be a shirt, you know, soon TM. I'll get to you. I'll get back to you soon. Right. Exactly. <laughs> sure you will. Um, and now we've lost SanDisk as a, sponsors so. <laughs> not that they were already um so yeah be sure to back up your stuff and even if you are I, I wish that there was more information about like model numbers time periods things like that some type of due diligence was done um that way at least you can look at something exactly i was trying to look up when those were released but i'm not sure it was the same model so i didn't because there was some of that that came out in 2020 but i don't know if it's the exact same one yeah they don't have the actual manufacturing period probably because they don't know when the start and stop is for it but um, they're talking about extreme and extreme pro drive portable ssds so if you have one of those go and and look and make sure that um, you've got them backed up somewhere. Let's hustle on to the next article. So this next article is over in the Daily News Show. That's this show, but it's also a channel over in hometown. And it says Microsoft says China approves its plan to buy video game maker Activision Blizzard. Microsoft said Friday that China has unconditionally approved its plan to buy video game company Activision Blizzard. 
even as the deal still faces antitrust opposition in the US and the UK. Um, this is kind of interesting to me because I, I can't imagine uh, unless whoever owns the various interests in portions of Activision Blizzard right now is also getting partial ownership of the new merged Microsoft Activision Blizzard, right? Why would China give up this juggernaut of uh, monitoring people interacting with the demographic, uh, you know, understanding the, the people that are within it, the money, the amounts of money involved, etc. Um, why would they unconditionally approve it? It just seems like something I want to know more. <laughs> oh, agreed. So does Microsoft, I mean, excuse me, does China have any current ownership in like, does it own Activision Blizzard? So here, I'll walk you through it. So Microsoft said Friday that China has unconditionally approved its plan to buy video game make, uh, company Activision Blizzard, even if the details uh, deal, sorry, still faces antitrust opposition in the US and UK. So China and the European Union are the two biggest economies to have approved Microsoft's planned $69 billion takeover of the, uh, the California game company behind popular titles such as World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, Candy Crush, and we talked about this briefly, um, that the, there's a company that owns, and I just lost it again. What is the name of it? It's not NetEase. Oh, is it the Chinese tech company? Yeah. It's, um, Tencent, I think. Tencent. Yeah. It has a piece. And so there's no, there it is right there. Uh, Blizzard had a longstanding partnership with NetEase dating to 2008 with uh, which helped the latter company grow to become China's largest uh, games distributor after local rival Tencent. Um, and yeah, I believe that, let me make sure here. But I guess to your point, I mean, if China would somehow have a stake now related to Microsoft, how would that work? Because like Microsoft is deployed through a lot of different things in the US, for instance. Wait, say that all again. Well, to your point about like, why would China agree to it unless they're getting some sort of stake in it? Right. If that's stake related to Microsoft itself and not just Activision Blizzard, that seems like that would raise a whole nother set of questions because of the extensive deployment of Microsoft products. Yeah, I just, I don't know what they're going to get out of this deal. Um, I'm trying to find... Um, everybody that's involved in this and what their relationship is. As far as I know, Tencent is involved because they have um, partial ownership in um, Blizzard specifically. 
and since it's Activision Blizzard, so King is also a Chinese company, as far as I know. Um, so I'm, and it, it just gets really kind of bogged down in strata of ownership within ownership within ownership. Like we were talking yesterday about a company that hypes up that it's an American owned company, but it's not, it's a Chinese owned company that operates as a business in the United States, but it doesn't tout that Chinese ownership. Um, and so it has all of these products that are kind of knockoffs of dot, dot, dot. And, but it never really fully discloses anywhere that it's a Chinese company, but the context to me, that doesn't really matter if it's a Chinese company or a U.S. company or whatever. But in the era of, in this day and age where people are, um, getting bent out of shape that the, there's a do there's a polarity here, right? Like they can own companies in the United States, but if we do business in China, then we have to follow their strict rules and regulations and, and data is accessed by the Chinese communist party. And even in the United States, it's exfiltrated. So unless both culturally and economically it's open, and and transparent i feel like things are out of balance and so for me i'm not all that interested in being part and parcel to that type of situation um i get bent out of shape about how a how facebook manipulated the news and psychology of people on facebook Imagine if I knew more about just how it's manipulated in China, because we know that there is social credit, for instance, and people are pitted against each other in terms of talking to each other. Right. So like if somebody, according to reports, according to people, they say that if you do the wrong thing, you'll lose your ability to travel within the country, let alone leave the country. Um, so do we want that type of monitoring that type of practice here in the States? I don't know. Um, it, it doesn't, I mean, it's not for me, but there has to be people out there that want exactly that, be able to control every single thing through a single app. Oh, I know somebody, Never mind. We won't talk about that part. Anyway, I'm being sarcastic because I was basically walking you all up right to the precipice of this. There are people out here that want exactly the same thing to be able to control and manipulate the, the information that's being provided. Um, like all transactions through a unitary app, all news through a unitary app, um, logging into your Twitter account through a unitary app, starting your car through that unitary app, interacting, messaging and watching long videos, etc., etc., all through the unitary app. None of that's connected to the same person, by the way, <laughs> N none of it. Yeah. So what I don't want is everything to be owned by one company, one country, one ideology, 
I, I, I want it all balkanized um, so that abusive tactics of any kind are somewhat neutered because there's no way to get a solid hold on all of the messaging. As it stands, a lot of people have to do a ton of work to uh, deprogram themselves from all of the concerted effort to program you in a certain way. Um, and it just does not do society good. It just controls. At any rate, what does all of this have to do with Microsoft saying that China approves its plan to buy uh, Activision Blizzard? It's mergers and acquisitions. It's taking away uh, features and options and jobs and all of this because it doesn't it's not cheap to buy a company. So particularly one as massive as Activision Blizzard. So jobs get lost, prices increase, options disappear, all in an effort to recoup the burn of buying a mega corporation. And you can bet that there's going to be thousands of people losing their jobs the moment Activision Blizzard is purchased by Microsoft. And games are going to disappear and functionality is going to get uh, like stripped back. I mean, just look at what's been happening with Minecraft. It might be growing in certain elements, but it's all being constrained into a controlled loader with more like microtransaction opportunities and all of that kind of stuff, you know, and not how it was. Um, for crying out loud. Anyway, there's a whole lot more and I end up going on this rant and it's, uh, I would love to have conversations with people about this. So come on over to Twitch and, and chat with me. And if you're lurking in, um, chat right now and you want to say something, don't mind having a conversation, you have an observation, feel free to throw it in there. I'm happy to discuss this stuff and go beyond it as a matter of fact. So do you want to go on to another topic or do you have um, anything that you want to add to this? I don't have anything to add. We can go to the next. Okay. And because I'm adding a whole bunch of functionality and stuff to the, the show tonight all at once, I forgot that this is an Associated Press article from abcnews.go.com. This one I forgot, but the last one I didn't. So let's go on to the next article. So this next article is in the Mobile Channel. United States returns the Earth Monster Olmec statue to Mexico. Uh, Mexico announced on Friday that a huge 2,500-year-old Olmec stone sculpture has been returned from the United States. This is a fizz.org article. Um, it's pretty short. It looks like it's from the Associated Press as well. Um, Mexico announced on Friday that a huge 2,500-year-old Olmec stone statue um, or sculpture has been returned. It says that it's a six-foot-tall or two-meter monster of the earth sculpture. It appears to represent the gaping maw of a monster that is big enough to swallow people and may represent a symbolic entrance to the underworld. I haven't seen this. I haven't either, and now I'm kind of disappointed because... There's no picture. I guess there's, well, and there's less chance of seeing it since it's left. <laughs> well, there's got to um, be I'm pictures I'm glad that of it's this. returned if it needed to be returned, but. Let me see. Hold on a second. 
I don't know if you all can hear me typing. I have a mechanical keyboard that's supposed to be silenced, but we can hear it. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> that's not good. I'm telling you, man, this microphone can hear a mouse fart in another street. Um, let's see. And that's the same article, so I can't, can't seem to pull it up here. Yeah, nobody has a picture of it for crying out loud. Hold on. Oh, 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 okay. Here. I will. Let me just. I'll pull it up and show y'all. Dun, dun, dun. This is in um, the artnewspaper.com. I don't know if I can make this a source, but apparently that's it. Uh, so it looks more like a carving that had a hole in it and they, you know, rounded it out and. Yeah, I don't a, quite. A shape call it the same description but I'm not knowledgeable about this piece I don't know yeah there has to be some this is one of those things where like scientists are going well let's let's just kind of come up with something <laughs> so there's more at this article um, to read about it but um, it says experts say sculpture is important because of the insights it provides on the cosmological vision of the Olmecs, considered a founding culture of Mesoamerica. Yeah, but if we have the wrong take on it, you know, all we're doing well, is Well, we don't know if we do. I mean, where did we get that interpretation from? Was that from the people requesting the artifact back, or was True. that a U.S.-imposed view on it? I don't know true yeah yeah they don't really say much um in the article so yeah let's move on this next article is over in the policy metrics um channel which is uh, what that channel is supposed to do is talk about the policies that uh, websites and companies publish uh to support whatever procedures or actions that they're going to be taking, um, you know, terms of use and things like that, copyright policy claims, whatever it might be, um, and try and talk about them in real English, uh, and distill it away from, um, legal ease, right? It's basically confounding, uh, arcane language designed to compel you to just click the yes and accept it or just use the site um, because if they made it too easy and it said that they were going to take your firstborn child you would probably not use the site but that's not the language that's used right um, well it says resistance to extortionate copyright infringement claims by prepared foods photos Earlier this year, the author of this article says they confronted Daniel D'Souza over his law firm's demand for a settlement of $30,000 based on the claim that Asheville acupuncturist James Whittle had infringed the copyright of prepared foods photo, sorry, prepared food photos by posting a colorful image of fruits and vegetables taken by its corporate predecessor, Ad Life Marketing and Communications. 
Their response explained that uh, the many flaws in the purported claims against Whittle, including the preposterous theory of damages in D'Souza, promptly dropped his demand. So let's go over to this article. It's a public citizen, uh, or I should say, that's the name of the site, public citizen, but it goes by citizen.org. Um, Paul uh, Levy, Levy, sorry, Paul Levy is the author of this article. And um, it says, and this is the weird thing about this. This is a law firm called Copycat Legal. Um, so his law firm continues to use an almost identical demand letter, repeating the same phony claims with only two changes. The photos and the targets change with each letter, and he is letting a subordinate lawyer in the firm, Lauren Hausman, uh, take the fall for the overstated demands. And then they say, regrettably, their public rebuttal of the posturing has not deterred copycat legal from using the same methods to try to gain unjustified profits from other individuals and small businesses on whose websites copycats image search technology can find its clients old photos it's interesting so they're basically scrubbing the internet looking for old photos um, and then trying to do a demand letter of thirty thousand dollars yeah, but they're not, it sounds like they're not establishing any damages. But there is like, they're just claiming amounts, but they're not necessarily being harmed. But with every claim that actually is accepted, they are right. They're setting the precedent for $30,000 worth of losses for every time somebody says that exactly. they aren't and others are saying that they are, you know, they're accepting it. Yeah, this is interesting because fair use and public discourse about an image or something like that could pretty much invalidate any claim. It depends on the commercial use of the, the work. Um, and every situation so, is different. So who's the client here? It seems like the firm is just acting on its own accord as it's written in the article. Right? Like That's who what... are they protecting? That this was my take really questionable. Who are they suing on behalf of? Because it says up here. Uh, they mentioned that old ad agency, but it doesn't sound like that's actually a client of theirs. Right. Does it exist anymore? Um, and I don't see in here. Um, there's a lot in this article. It's pretty information dense. As in the Whittle situation, the use of a photo that could easily be obtained for a license fee for a few dollars is said to merit a demand for settlement of $30,000 based on the contention that prepared food only sells $999 per month subscriptions to its entire database with a one-year minimum prescription or prescription? Subscription. Period. Subscription, yeah. Yeah, they say prescription, period. So that damages for the three-year limitations period would be $36,000, but then they explain in the Whittle situation, courts routinely say the infringement damages for lost license fees must be based not on what the copyright owner charges, but, what, uh, but on what a reasonable buyer would buy a reasonable seller for the one infringed work. Yeah, because they're not paying <laughs> for everything. They're only using that one work. 
and no reasonable lawyer confronted with a demand letter of $12,000 for a single stock photo would pay that price right. It's interesting. Um, then they say there were no arguments on other, on the other side, and Daniel D'Souza admitted to the author that he has never won damages on the theory of a contested case. Well, that's interesting disclosure in this. I have a feeling there's going to be some action against these attorneys. Yeah, this is really interesting. So this actually goes through an entire interaction from beginning to end. Um, it says when their client sent a $750 check to Ad Life Marketing after the Higby firm threatened to sue him for using an image of a tur turkey dinner and seeking donations for his church's Thanksgiving food drive for the homeless. Ad Life did not sue him, but it also never deposited the check. Perhaps it prefers getting nothing to accepting a low damages payment that might be seen as setting a bad precedent. Interesting. Just like you said. Yep. I mean, it's the flip side of it, basically. Yeah. But notice that is the client of the authors of this article, not the client that was suing. Right. Yeah. We still don't know why that firm is suing for infringement. I, I, I'm not getting that from the article. Why were they given the rights to... We don't Sue? know. I mean, maybe. Because I'm, I'm scrolling back. I guess we're going to, I don't know, it, <laughs> look at some due diligence of this. Um, because this is a, this is something that has previous history. So I think maybe we'll have to go and look at this a little bit deeper and then come back and talk about it. Um, but to me, I think that it's all just... This DMCA copyright stuff is just so um, brutal to anybody, to everybody who doesn't have money, you know? And or I think, any um, ability or knowledge to stand up for themselves. That too. Yeah, I mean, you could be dirt poor and be able to stand up for yourself if you have the knowledge. But in right, any but if case, you don't know when you get one of these notices. Yeah. That's why there's organizations that try to, uh, it's called access to law. There's a, countless people out there that have zero access to law, all because they're priced out of even the most inexpensive attorneys that want to provide pro bono or goodwill uh, work on their behalf. There's only so many that are willing to not make enough money to pay back their student loans. And, and at some point, you know, they're, they're scattered so thinly across the United States and I'm sure in other countries that you just don't know they're in existence. And so you have to hunt around and try and find somebody that's competent. And I guarantee you, you know, it's going to be hit or miss if you're going to find somebody that has any copyright infringement experience that's going to be doing pro bono work um, maybe an internet content creator that's also in legal might be willing to step up to the plate so that's uh, i can end up dwelling on this for quite a time quite a, 
a long time. So let's move on to the next article. So um, we're not stepping too far away from the last article with this article, but it has a different context. This one's in the continuity report, a clean cut, uh, sorry, a clear cut win for artists or a stifling effect on artistic creation. How copyright law experts view the Supreme Court's Warhol decision. Purpose and character. These are now solidly enshrined as the bud buzzwords for corporate law or copyright law. I'm sorry. Uh, on the heels of the Supreme Court's 7-2 ruling earlier this week in the case involving the estate of Andy Warhol and photographer Lynn Goldsmith. Um, this is an interesting case. Um, Cynthia Littleton is the author of this article over at Variety.com. Um, and basically there was a lawsuit um, between the estate of Andy Warhol and a photographer named Lynn Goldsmith. And, it, and the article says the decision at first blush seemed to be a clear cut win for copyright owners and artists who create original works, but the court's majority decision penned with verve by justice Sonia Sotomayor, um, is already proving divisive among experts on intellectual property rights. It demonstrates the difficulty of setting up hard and fast rules around highly subjective questions. Uh, such as when an artistic or literary work is transformative of an earlier work and whether its ultimate use is for commercial purposes or not. The case has been closely watched in part because it's sure to have implications for the tidal wave of AI-generated art and literary works that are to emerge and the still larger wave of litigation likely to follow. Yeah. So what ended up happening was um, in Andy Warhol Foundation for Visual Arts Incorporated v. Goldsmith, the case turned on the use of an orange-colored Warhol silkscreen print of the photo uh, photograph of Prince, a.k.a. Orange Prince, on a 2016 Vanity Fair magazine cover that paid tribute to the legendary musician after his death. Goldsmith took the original Prince photo that Warhol had adapted for v Vanity Fair as a purple-colored prince in 1984. Back then, Goldsmith was paid $400 and received a source photographer credit from Vanity Fair. In 2016, Vanity Fair licensed the orange prince image from the Warhol Foundation for $10,000. After Goldsmith alerted the Warhol Foundation that she believed her copyright was violated by the 2016 use of orange prince, the foundation sued her, seeking a declaratory judgment of non-infringement. Goldsmith countersued. The lower court ruled in favor of the Warhol Foundation's fair use claim, but then that was reversed on appeal. And then the Supreme Court um, sustained the appeal. Interesting, right? It is. So I'm not I think sure the... yet how this is going to play out because I haven't read enough on. I've seen some news about the Warhol decision, but haven't read enough about it. Yeah, um, my understanding of this is that they didn't find it transformative enough. So, right, which to me is a blow for artists. Although some would view it as a win for artists, right? Because. 
There's on, at least two artists in play here. Depends on which side of the fence you're on. It says if an original work and secondary use share the same or highly similar purposes and the secondary use is commercial, the fair use factor is likely to weigh against fair use. Absent some other uh, justification for copying, Sotomayor wrote, illustrating how subjective and divisive these issues can be, the majority decision stirred a fire in uh, Justice Elena Kagan, who penned a pugnacious, wow, that's a nice word, a dissent in which she was joined by uh, Chief Justice John Roberts. It will stifle creativity of every sort. It will impede new art and music and literature. It will thwart the expression of new ideas and attainment of new knowledge, Kagan wrote, and it will make our world poorer. So, not to embrace Kagan in any way, shape, or form, but I truly believe that art needs to be taken and transformed. Now, it can't just be, and in this case, I haven't looked at both of the pictures to form an opinion about just how much it was transformed, but taking a purple picture and making it orange isn't transformative. Even if you believe, even if you construct this grandiose uh, verbal representation of the meaning behind it and it, how it has completely different context now that the musician is deceased and he had changed his color to blah, blah, blah. You know, I had done an art piece for somebody and they whittled it down to, well, all it is was this. And I said, well, yeah, but that's because it's basically the embodiment of a particular idea. And uh, they just didn't buy into it. They didn't like it. Well, that's because one person's art is another person's trash. They're, they're not interested in it. So, and in this particular instance, it's actually on the cover of a commercial property. It's not, it's not an original work and it's not being hung on a wall. It's, it's used to sell the, the magazine, right? Because there's two things that people seem to really, really the text on the cover. Hey, this is a new article about Prince, but what grabs them is the picture. So that's right. That's what sells the magazine. For example, if it's a physical copy. Yep. Um, I, I once early on in the app stores creation, um, from Apple, the Apple app store, um, I got into a discussion about the icons for the apps, right? And somebody was just tearing apart a particular app icon. And I said, you know, that, that thumbnail just doesn't really it doesn't mean much, you know, I don't think most people really care what it looks like. And the person that critiqued the, the piece basically lost their mind and said, that's the sole thing that people see first. They don't even see the name first. They're scrolling through and they see this iconography and they're like, yeah, I want that. Um, I've come to embrace that in very short order after that statement. Um, because there's a whole uh, concept, um, semiotic ontology. There's basically how things get meaning. And those little icons 
represent basically an entire worldview. Whatever your perception is of something, the moment you see a little icon, you've made a decision about something. Hey, that's really cool, or I think it sucks, or whatever it is. But that's the embodiment of whatever product is that that right. icon represents. So I really think that this being fair use, depending on, and again, I'm kind of shorting our discussion because we haven't seen the actual artwork. I don't remember it. Um, but if all it is, is a switch from one color to another, yeah, this isn't fair use. I don't think that there was anything substantive changed. And Brildane, welcome to um, the discussion. Appreciate it. Most artists you know hate having to, well, hate, hate, hate having to write out what their art represents because usually it's just a creative feeling and doesn't uh, have a real tangible meaning. Yeah, I agree. Art is supposed to be emotional, not not like the written word. The, the written word is supposed to provoke emotion based on what's written. Art is supposed to provoke an emotional response based on what you see. Sometimes there's words in the artwork, but it's the embodiment of that effort, that creative process to pull emotion out of you. Sometimes it works with people. Other times then, you know, I, the art is in the eye of the beholder isn't a statement that is completely meaningless. It, it's very truthful, just like music, just like the written word. It's in the eye of the beholder. Hey, so, do you want to see the original plus the um, uh, plus the uh, the Prince version? Oh, uh, you know what? Let me actually bring it up. Here, I if you, I just sent you the link. Um, the two pictures are side by side in the middle of that. Oh, okay, it's from Artnet. Oh, okay, let me do that. Because I was curious, I wanted to see. Yeah. Mm -mm 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 -mm. One second. Sorry. I... We're going to have to work on a different <laughs> mode of doing this. Sorry. One second, folks. I don't like the dead air, but. Oh, okay. Interesting. So at the top is just Warhol stuff, but in the middle it shows the photograph plus the Warhol. Yeah. So it's basically they they converted it into black and white and then filled it in. All they with did orange. was like change the color from what I could tell. Like it it's identical. I mean That's it's not like it's suddenly abstracted into a different representation of prints or i mean it really looks like it's almost copied and pasted yeah and all they did was turn it purple. orange well yeah depending on which one you're looking at but yeah. yeah interesting yeah i don't think that that's you know overly transformative if it was have been if it would have been andy warhol taking somebody's photograph without permission and turning it into orange prints 
right? That's transformative. But and that's what I thought when this was originally in the news because we didn't see pictures of it. Um, right. But this just looks like a, an exact copy of the photograph. Yeah. You know what? Let me see if I can pull it up and show you. I was going to. Yeah, that's why I sent it in so, case you wanted to show go. it. There you go. Um, so I mean, it's the exact same. So this is the original. And then this is Andy Warhol um, manipulating the photograph. And then down here is the uh, Vanity Fair print. So all they did was tweak it a little bit. I don't think that that's I, really. Right. I don't uh, think that's transformative. I mean, I don't think they changed any details other than just the color. Right. Because that's the original. And then that's, they gave it. Well, I don't even know. They didn't really. I don't even know what else they did. Maybe a, they did a nothing else. Different like the hair is the same shape. The facial hair is the same. Like it's all identical from what I can tell. Right. Huh. It's interesting. But I can't see it in enough detail to really. Yeah. You know. Well, I wonder what's going to end up going. There is a lot more at this article, by the way. So if you're interested in this kind of thing, um, then you definitely want to go and check out the rest of it. Um, but it is a Supreme Court finding now. So where do you go from there? I have to agree with the dissent, though. I mean, I haven't read the decision, but the quote that was in this article. Yeah. I think it's a negative result for artists. Yep. Um, even even in the context that it isn't really transformative because it isn't substantial enough to transform. Like, remember when the Obama picture was taken and somebody took that Obama picture yes. and then transformed it into the blue and the red? Um, that was transformative. It was a completely different artistic expression. It might have been sourced from a copyrighted photo. Well, all photos are by default, but the the photo was completely changed from its original to this uh, dual color image. There was no reason for that to turn into a lawsuit. This, this. No, but that would have been a better lawsuit to go to the Supreme Court on. Because here, if it really wasn't transformative Oops. and it kind of constrains artists going forward, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The other one would have opened it up more to more artistic expression. This actually is slamming a gate down on, a, on artistic expression because it's basically saying, well, it's actually setting a floor for transformation. But again what is that level of transformation trying to codify <laughs> transformative amounts right I it's like you, can... you know it when you see it which is not good for um a legal test yeah exactly i guess you're gonna have to use an ai and scan the image and the ai can tell you that it's 99.6 percent transformed and thus you are free to use it congratulations AI corporate masters. Let's go on to the next article. 
So this next article, and we have quite a few more. Um, this next article is um, over in the Late Night Geeks channel. Uh, things that come from TechCrunch tend to end up in Late Night Geek for some reason. Anyway, um, Chainlink co-founder wants Web3 to provide cryptographic guarantees to the world. Not going to get too deep into this, but basically the internet is marginally secure um, and it's hit or miss depending on which site you go to, which services you use. It's rather security balkanized, um, but this person wants, it says, welcome back to Chain Reaction, a podcast that interviews newsmakers in crypto to better understand the tech behind the hype and the people working to build a decentralized future. So this article is actually quite a bit longer. Jacqueline Melanek is the author over at techcrunch.com. Um, and it says for this episode, Jacqueline interviewed Sergey Nazarov, co-founder of Chainlink, a protocol that provides an Oracle network to power smart contracts. Um, I don't like Oracle, but anyway. Um, so it says... There goes uh, another sponsor. Exactly. Chainlink is also known as a Web3 services platform that connects people, businesses, and data with the world of Web3. What they want to do is basically encrypt everything, raise the level of security from end to end. Says through technological or cryptographic guarantees in Web3, Nazarov feels, quote, it's a parallel system of contracts. Web2 world defines uh, events in a digital form, but at the end of the day, the promises are only backed by the legal system and people's choice to fulfill those promises. In a Web3 world that uses smart contracts, there's no capacity for human choice or the legal system. There's just a technically enforced system of contracts, which is all great but in a world of humans there's very few absolutes this way or that way something that is technically enforced is going to have zero fidelity and when a mistake is made is it a technically enforced mistake <laughs> so you know i i really don't i don't like i i used to see the world in black and white you know, uh, when I was 19. <laughs> um, but now there's greater fidelity um, that I think everybody would appreciate that having, I, I want, I don't want just one system. I want systems that compete to increase. So I'm not sure if this actually lends itself to do that it would have to improve itself. If there are other people that are out there, they will have to improve themselves. If they fall short, they suffer the consequences of not being secure, things like that. Um, I, I think the messaging might be right, but this is more like a sales page than it is discussing something uh, fundamental about what they are offering. Um, but it seems very hypey. Smart contracts don't mean much to the lay person. Um, or even to the AI. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just, I'll let you all 
follow the link and you can go over and check it out. But I haven't actually been putting the links in um, since the Olnick sculpture. So where is that? I think that was number two, maybe. Uh, that's number four. So let me throw that into the chat. Man, I am just a slacker. And we'll throw that into the chat. My goodness. And this is kind of the reason why I wanted to do the, um, the voting, the polling system um, and uh, embed it into hometown directly. That way I can post the link um, to the polling system and then you can go there and check it out. Um, so let's go on to the next article. So this next article is in the Daily News Show. And before I get too far along, there you go. Um, there's this article talks about your metabolism. So three ways to boost your metabolism and no, it doesn't get any worse with age. A groundbreaking study from 2021 has found that age has very little impact on your metabolic rate. I can't count how many times I've said, you know, I've, as I've aged dot, dot, dot. Um, well, and I think this is contrary to what you see in other articles. So I'll be interested to see why or how that is. Yeah, so this is a Newsweek.com article. I guess their name is Leone. Leone Helm is the author. And there's a video here. It says these three steps can help you improve your metabolism. It's such like clickbaity title, you know. Um, it makes me question everything. But they talk about metabolism for a little bit. Um, and they make that statement um, about how if you get older, your metabolism slows or whatever. But... When it comes right down to it, what they end up saying is, how do you improve your metabolism? So what they want you to do is prioritize protein. Um, anecdotally, I can tell you that doing these steps actually has improved mine. Um, that's not why I chose this article. It just happens to be that I've done the same thing. I can't say that I'm, you know, uh, uh, a NASA astronaut or an Olympic athlete. Um, I'm pretty sedentary because I'm working in hometown quite a bit, but um, consuming good protein means that you're not as hungry. You're satiated faster um, and your body needs a certain amount of protein. Um, the other thing that I uh, and most people neglect to do apparently is um, eat in the morning so a lot of people just kind of kick off their day and start working um, but the third thing on this list is to uh, eat a breakfast a, a good breakfast um, and the third thing that and the second thing that they actually talk about in this article is build muscle so you really need to work out um, you need to get some exercise uh, free weights or your own body weight or uh, elastic bands or uh, like right now, I'm actually, I've got an under desk um, elliptical that I'm actually doing steps on um, while I'm doing the show. Um, you really just need to stay more active. And that's if you are rather sedentary. If you're out and about and working hard, then building muscle is part and parcel to your gig. Um, but if you're sitting at a desk job most of the time, you don't go to the gym. You need to build muscle. 
Um, it helps with every other aspect of your, your entire body from posture to, um, your metabolism. And, but they say to eat a breakfast, you really are supposed to get three meals a day based on the science. That way you don't go into any starvation mode and start retaining um, energy in the form of fat so that you can survive through your <laughs> austerity moments. Um, so according to Banning, eating a good nutritious breakfast within 30 minutes of waking up immediately signals your body that there's food available and calories to burn, kickstarting your metabolism and burning fat. I don't know anybody whose first thing they do is start eating something within 30 minutes of waking up. This is kind of the day and age where you <laughs> you don't get up and start running. Um, you know, run down and uh, to the nearest place or to your kitchen and make a breakfast, eat it, and then return to take a shower and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> kind of. Right. You'd almost have to do it in that order. Yeah. So um, they say, does metabolism get worse with age? They go into great detail about this, but apparently based on the study, no, it doesn't. Um, you, you basically, um, you become what sedentary. I think the groundbreaking study found that metabolism peaks at around the age of one, uh, when babies are able to burn calories 50% faster than adults. And then it gradually declines at a rate of about 3% until the age of 20. And from there, the study, which was published in the journal Science by Ponser et al., found that the metabolism essentially levels and remains stable until the age of 60, when it only begins to decline by less than 1% annually. So, Brilding says, meh, they say all that, but doing it like that doesn't let your T cells become active we need the fasting period to consume the damaged cells. That's why cancer is on the rise over the last 100 years. That's interesting. I'd like to um, read more about that um, because um, I used to do uh, intermittent fasting um, and my weight plateaued. Um, I couldn't lose any more weight. Um, ended up going to a nutritionist. The nutritionist goes, well, you're, you're doing this. You really should be doing that over there. Not everybody is the same. Um, I changed my eating habits and my metabolism, not my metabolism, but my weight stayed the same. <laughs> the only time it went down is when I absolutely starved myself. And even to this day, I'm at 1500 calories um, and my weight is sustained and I am much more active um, now than during this time where I was doing IF and um, monitoring calories and all of this stuff. Um, it's quite fascinating. Um, and even a couple of doctors, because I'm interested in the science um, and, and analytics of this, um, doctors who I talk to casually about this stuff um, say, well, there are some people that just have to eat a whole bunch more to activate their, <laughs> their uh, calorie, uh, not their calories, but their metabolism. Um, you basically end up starving. So 
I would really love a, a, an owner's manual for humans so that I can change my oil properly and, um, you know, do keep my tires inflated the right way and use the right uh, cleaning material. I don't know, whatever it is that humans, uh, we need a, a, a user manual. So, yeah. And so Brodane is talking about, um, it says cell splitting on damaged cells is what keeps happening to us. They cannot activate when you're producing insulin and it only goes away after an extended period of non-eating. Yeah, this is, um, this is one of the complexities of uh, I, just being a human. Um, it just doesn't seem like, like I hear and read differing angles of quote unquote being healthy. Um, and I, you just, it just seems like it's very personal to that person that works that way. Um, so I don't know where to go from there, you know, um, because one person will say one thing and it's not just one person, you know, there's a whole cohort of people that follow one way and others that follow another way. And everybody swears up and down that it is the, it is the way. Um, well, and if you improve one area, I think like Brildane's comment, you're creating another problem in another area. Yeah. Yeah, this it's I would really like it just a definitive. This is how it actually works. Um, but it seems like the science should know that by now. Yeah, you would think. But, you know, you get hurt and you end up going to a surgeon, a, a like a yeah, you go to a surgeon and they want to cut you open. You go to a cardiologist and they want to monitor your heart. And that's the whole source of all of your problems. Um, you go to a physical therapist and the same thing that a surgeon wanted to cut you open for means physical therapy running on a treadmill while people are staring at you. Um, you, you go to a nutritionist and I wish I was kidding about this because this is all stuff that has actually happened. Um, uh, I get seen by the newest nutritionist at my local doctor's office and suddenly it's a nutrition issue that I'm suffering from. It's, it's like I walk into a Home Depot and every single hammer is looking at me as if I'm their unique style of nail and it just burns a person out. Um, we just need, yeah. Yeah. So Brildrain has said a couple of other things. Uh, the science is heavily swayed by those who pay for the science. Yes, that's why when um, we read research papers, uh, we look at the funding source and that implicates a whole lot of bias. <laughs> um, and Brildrain also said fat equals bad, not sugar, says big sugar daddy. Yeah, I mean, I think everything in moderation is okay for crying out loud. Um, but there, there are some, there's a whole school of people that say that sugar is the worst possible thing you can consume and it destroys your metabolism and spikes your blood sugar and, um, messes with your insulin level and 
puts you into shock and it's, and then from there, it's basically a downward spiral and you're addicted to sugar, et cetera, et cetera. So, but then there are people that I know that are healthy as a dog, like just, they, they're unstoppably healthy. Um, but they're you know, eating candy and smoking cigarettes and, uh, chugging rum and they're thinner and can run further and lift more and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's just astonishing. I, I think biology is just way too dynamic for a fixed set of rules, but I would love to have them. Yeah. Well, based on the fact that they're 85 years old and still running. Yeah. Um, real day nasty if they were healthy. Yeah. For all intents and purposes. Yeah. Let's move on to the next article. Um, this next article, we've got like four more to go. Um, we're going to have a long night. So uh, this next article is over in the Smack Talk channel. Apple touts $2 billion in app store fraud prevented last year amid rumors of third-party app stores in iPhone. Um, the uh, It says Apple is out with a new press release today touting the success of the app store's ability to prevent fraud. According to the company, the app store prevented more than $2 billion in potentially fraudulent transactions in 2022, terminated 428,000 developer accounts for fraud, and more. Four hundred and twenty. Doesn't that seem like a ton? <laughs> Why so like, many? Isn't that like the half of the population of Wyoming? <laughs> no, that is the population of Wyoming almost. I think we have five hundred thousand because we've looked that stat up before. Real Dane said about that last article because people who think that they're healthy in their forties drop dead at hat, and no one understands. It's interesting. See, I'm going to end up going down this rabbit hole. Um, so this article is over at nine to five Mac chance. Miller is the author. They have this little snippet here. This, this, uh, what do you call it? Graphic nearly 3.9 million stolen credit cards blocked from being used. 714,000 accounts banned from transacting again. More than $2 billion in potentially fraudulent transactions prevented. This all comes about because um, I think it's the Supreme Court said that there can be alternative app stores available to iOS users. Um, but that, um, how did, how is it phrased? Apple doesn't have to embrace it or, or make it um, available or be the, there's some terminology that's being used, um, but that alternative app stores are legal. Okay. So they're going to use, allow, um, installation of alternative app stores. Right. Um, it's because of something that came out of the EU, um, which of course has different, um, rules than say in the u.s yeah um so i think it's that the eu set out a new law and they have to comply with it i think that's the issue that is spurring this on yeah so i'm curious about how they're going to actually embrace these third-party app stores because side loading has always been a thing jailbreaking has always been a thing 
Um, at least on the Android side, it's always been kind of always ever present. Uh, but on the iOS side, it's been fought against regularly. Oh, um, it looks like they're going to add USB-C, which is how they're going to comply with this, which I know doesn't answer all of it. But Oh, interesting. Okay. So I guess that's how they'll enable the ability to sideload or something. I'm not sure how this all works. Um, it didn't go into enough detail. It was a Verge article and it was actually from late 2022, just for reference. Oh, gotcha. So they have a whole bunch of stats here. Nearly 400,000 app submissions rejected for privacy violations. Over 153,000 app submissions rejected for spam, copycats, or misleading users. Um, I used to have some apps in the app store that I pulled, um, mainly cause I had to babysit the apps. Um, and I, you know, if there's a developer out there that wants to develop, uh, continue to evolve my apps, then uh, get in touch with me. <laughs> uh, we can talk shop. Anyway, it says throughout today's press release, Apple explains that various protection measures, including app store review, are what helped it prevent $2 billion in fraudulent transactions. This is the reason why I think that allowing third party app stores is a ridiculous idea. If you can't meet Apple's requirements, what is going on with your app? You know, there, well, There's, for that matter, why do users even want them at that point, at least from right. a security standpoint? Right. And I had gotten into a discussion um, about this before the third-party app store idea even came into existence. Um, the argument, the discussion was about the fact that people want to sideload apps onto your whatever, and Apple is against it. And they were saying, well, why is Apple against it? And I gave a bunch of reasons. A bunch of them is about security of the device itself, but also the impact, the negative impact on the network that the device is attached to, be it cellular or um, Ethernet. Um, because a device can be compromised fundamentally by software that gets sideloaded because it's not audited by anybody, you can compromise the integrity of everything that it's attached to. Um, and so that reason alone is why I don't sideload anything unless I'm sitting there working on a project where the intent is to do something security wise or to test a piece of software um, or hardware or whatever it is. I don't want anything that isn't 100% vetted by the infrastructure. Um, again, unless it's development or analyzing something security wise or, um, functionality wise. So I think that it's a bad idea, but arguably it's about creating competition between this app store and third party app stores. But I would much rather have the juggernaut that has a vested interest in the integrity of its app store and its millions of users uh, all right there at the pinnacle of its important, you know, its pyramid of importance. The number one thing for Apple is the customer because it doesn't have a massive customer base 
throughout its history, it knows very well that it operated at one point with only 3% of the entire population, you know, uh, the, the market was basically controlled by Microsoft and it almost went under. When I was selling computers <laughs> right out of high school, um, yeah, it, Apple almost went out of business. So it knows that it needs to treat its customers as the number one thing um, to, to maintain. So security is fundamental for Apple. So why do you think they're releasing these stats now? I think they're doing it because they're about to embark on this new requirement. Yep. And I think their numbers are going to look a lot different. And I think they're going to point back to this and go, see, this is why we didn't want to do this. Yep. I, I think that you're going to start hearing about all kinds of compromised devices and all kinds of other issues in the EU, around the world, in the United States, because people are going to be using these third party app stores and only there one of two things is going to happen. Well, actually, all of it's going to happen, but fundamentally people are going to be talking about it. And the, the worst offenders, the people that really get brutally compromised, they're not going to talk about it. <laughs> so how did your entire identity get stolen? Oh, I sideloaded through a third party app store. Oh, oh okay. But it's going to fall. And this is my problem with like an aftermarket third party repairs and stuff like that. The problem is that it takes a forensic analysis to find out that it wasn't an Apple product, an Apple provided solution, whatever it is. It wasn't because of Apple and its services, its policies, its procedures that you were compromised. I think it's just going to get everything confounded into uh, people saying it's their fault. No, it's their fault. No, it's their fault. Um, just imagine. So this right to repair um, idea, um, if you buy a product and you don't want to go to the source to get it repaired because it's more expensive or they tell you, well, I can't repair it because you have to go down to the component level, let's say, to repair it um, versus replace. Um, if somebody, a third party repairs it and they screw it up and the battery detonates, the at first blush, people are going to go, it was Apple's fault. Well, no, a third party repaired it. They did a bad job of it. The battery detonated. That's right, but it'll get reported down. as it's an iPhone blowing it's an up. IPhone. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. So then they'll also suffer harm to the reputation too, not just for the actual issue. Yep. yep. And that initial hype is the thing that makes the headlines just like the thing that we saw earlier today fox hyped a bunch of bogus claims and then got caught in the lie and retracted it with a 10 second oh we bad and then immediately moved on and that's how the hype works with something like this the headline will be Apple at fault for device setting house on fire, but then a forensic investigation leads to questioning the supposed victim. Oh yeah. I had Bob's bait and tackle, you know, do my, uh, iPhone repair and they punctured the battery. 
That's just kind of how it is. But I would never refuse anybody's right to repair. It just needs to be a little bit more sound in who gets ultimately blamed when something bad happens in those instances. Um, and it only goes worse and more expensive from there because I totally believe that you know, farmers should have the right to repair their tractors and stuff like that. So, um, but you know, context matters, folks. So if there's an issue that you have with something that I'm saying, come and talk to me about it and, and we'll suss out the actual context because it's really easy to take somebody out of context and, you know, everybody gets upset. Anyway, let's move on to the next article. This next article is in the mobile channel. It says these areas of the U.S. are elevated risk for blackouts this summer. Um, I thought that this was astonishing to hear um, because not since Enron have I seen blackouts in the United States. Well, I thought there was a whole round of these in California um, over the last few years. Um, like that was post Enron, but there hasn't been like across the U.S. Certainly agree. So I understand certain things like uh, natural disasters, ice uh, forming on wind generators in Texas that weren't ever insulated right. for that purpose. And it was actually eschewed by the establishment. Uh, no, we don't need them. We don't get freezing weather. Yeah, you do. And climate change <laughs> you get freezing weather anyway um the what i don't recall ever hearing about was just blackouts due to consumption but that's what this sounds like it is during the summer according to annual assessment from the north american uh, electric reliability corporation or the NERC, you're a NERC. large swaths of the u.s could suffer blackouts this summer not just large swaths. I mean, it goes from Ontario all the way down to, you know, the border of Mexico. There's right. only like, I think large swaths is understated in this <laughs> context. It's about 80% of the United States. At least in terms of land. What's interesting is population wise, maybe because there's a lot of population in that gray area. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of population in portions of the orange as well. So they say increased rapid deployment of wind, solar, and batteries have made an Im uh, a positive impact. Mark Ol Olson, NERC's manager of reliability assessment, said in a statement, however, generator retirements in, uh, continue to increase with the uh, associated risks with extreme summer temperatures, which factors into potentially supply shortages uh, in the western two-thirds of North America uh, if summer temperatures spike. So I never thought in a million years that I would hear that weather increases are causing blackouts in the United States again. The only time that I had ever heard this was due to Enron manipulating to increase surge pricing so that they had ever-increasing profits. And... I thought that was the end of it. I thought that we have been reinvesting in 
supporting our electrical grid, you know, maybe Wyoming had the right idea, right? We should just <laughs> stick to coal. No. Maybe well, that's not. contributing to the climate change that is causing the need for blackouts. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with something witty to say about that, but there's just, I mean, you know, it's true, but uh, it's, it's disconcerting that here in the States, we are having blackout still. Rildane said we should never stick to coal. <laughs> well, coal, coal in Wyoming is the thing that is driving their policy and procedure. They're actually stopping people from uh, buying electric cars. They're not going to expand or enhance their electrical grid. They're actually, uh, um, stopping people from they're putting leaning solar. heavily into coal. <laughs> yeah. That's a little more succinct. Yeah. They're leaning heavily into coal and, and oil. Um, and they're actually well, and part of it's because they have mining interests in the state. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So no, I, you know how you solve this problem? You you offset the priciness of solar so everybody can get solar on their roof and batteries in their garage. And then you don't have so much pressure on the electrical grid, even in, you know, uh, high temperature spike periods because everybody has their own damn solar. Let's get away from oil. Let's get away from gas. We what we need. Well, I won't go into it. That's a little too soapboxy tonight. But yeah, there you go, folks. If you're living in the United States this summer, thanks to global warming and the idea that it's somebody else's problem, <clears throat> you may be suffering from blackouts, blackouts. 21st century. I was going to say time to travel, but other countries, of course, are having the same temperature issues as the U.S. Sure. Let's go over to the next article. Next article is over in the Daily News Show. A New York University has fired two employees after they included their pronouns in work emails, according to reports. What's interesting about this is there are many, 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 many colleges and universities in the United States and around the world who embrace you putting your pronouns. <laughs> it's actually part right. and parcel. Like you're frowned upon if you don't do it. <laughs> yep. Houghton University has dismissed two employees over the usage of pronouns and emails per the New York Times. Reagan Zalea and Shua Wilmot pointed to their gender neutral names in explaining their use of pronouns. The university spokesperson told the times um, said the uh, institution has never solely terminated anyone over pronoun usage. So, Hmm. Let's see. Two staffers at a private Christian liberal arts college in upstate New York were fired from their positions for using pronouns in their work emails, according to the New York times. So let's go over to our source, which is not the New York Times. It's businessinsider.com. John L. Dorman put the article together. This Getty image doesn't seem to have anything really to do with this article, other than the fact that it's an email. But okay. It's I a like workplace. It. I yep. don't know. Yeah, yeah maybe sure. they're typing their pronouns in as uh, while they're at the laptop. 
There you go. That's the story we'll, the world building will create for the show. <laughs> the institution that was a stretch has, on my part. <laughs> no, not at all. It's right on target. Um, the so the institution says that they've never solely terminated anyone over pronoun usage. So okay, were these two people complete screw ups and decided, oh, this is the last straw. We're we're gonna we're gonna punt these two. They were asked by administrators at Haunton University to remove the she, her, he, him pronouns from their emails, respectively. They both declined to do so, which led to the Wesleyan church-affiliated institution dismissing them last month. Huh. Oh, I like that. So do what I tell you. Oh, we're going to ask you to remove them. And when you don't, it's insubordination. So we'll fire you. Got it. Let's see here. I wonder what the basis for the removal of the pronouns was. What the request was? Or why did they get them to ask? Yeah, I don't understand it. They didn't want them on there. I get that. But I mean, what what did they cite to? (laughs) Exactly. Who does that hurt? What, What impact does that have in your worldview? You know, if I see the name Reagan... Zalea, uh, do you immediately think he, him, or she, her, or they, them? What? What do you? What do you imagine? Well, I happen to guess correctly without seeing the pronouns, but that doesn't mean that I'm correct. Right. So, what about? Shual Wilma. And that one, I, I didn't have, I wasn't familiar with that name at all, so I right. wasn't sure. So, I mean, that one, the pronouns assist the person working with them. So, when I've had this discussion with other people where they contest the use of pronoun declaration in their emails, in their communications, their responses well, just use my first name or my last name. Really? You know that it's typical to say Mr. or Ms. or Mrs. last name, and your first name may be too personal for someone to initially communicate with. So, Particularly depending on what the context is. I mean, if they're like a job applicant or something, you're not typically calling somebody by their first name. Or if you're in some sort of adversarial situation you don't necessarily want to say hey joe right or if you're writing something and you have no idea about gender identity and you say mr or mrs then you're actually assuming the binary gender identities so declaring them in any communication basically removes all doubt as to who you are and, and how you want to be identified. So, and to me, it doesn't matter. I, you know, I, I will call you whatever you want to be called. I don't want to make any assumptions about your identity. So please let me know abundantly clear early and often, um, how you want to be referred to. Well, 600 alumni have written to the university in protest of the move per the report, which comes as GOP lawmakers across the country have rallied or railed, sorry, 
um, against the use of pronouns, especially in schools and workplaces, as some transgender and non-transgender Americans have sought to use pronouns that correspond with their gender identity. Well, I have to say I'm impressed with the alums. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a liberal arts college, so it also happens to be uh, a Christian liberal arts college, which nowadays you almost have to pick a side, you know. I don't know what what it's got. Well, it says, let's see here. It says um, Wilmot makes a statement and then says, I think it boils down to they want to be trans exclusive and they want to communicate that to potential students and the parents of potential students. There's the professional piece to it, the practical piece, and there's also an inclusive piece. And I think that's the piece this institution doesn't want. <laughs> so they say in a very verbose way that they want to excise anyone who might be trans. Right. And they want to signal that very clearly to incoming students and families yeah without saying the quiet part out loud they they <laughs> which really helps their case here <laughs> yeah so it says on the website the wesleyan church takes a conservative stance on gender identity remarking that quote gender confusion and dysphoria are ultimately the biological psychological social and spiritual consequences of the human race's fallen condition <laughs> And that's okay, enough wait, internet. that's not the school, though, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. I think that's enough internet for tonight. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what is going to shake out from this. There's quite a bit more in the article, um, but it doesn't seem like it's going to pull itself out from that particular hole that it's digging, so... I don't know, this type of polarity is on the wrong side of society's evolution. You know, we used to have these firm ideals bound by ideological bents that weren't inclusive of all people. Those people who felt that they weren't included usually suffer at the, the whim of the entrenched ideology we've finally started moving away from this and here we are diving head first into this lake without ever looking to see what's under there and really history shows what's under there um, and uh, all of this is going to lead to abuse of people in different ways, different places. So, so guess what the school just did? It signaled very clearly now because of the news. Mm -hmm. It doesn't want people that aren't exactly in line with its beliefs. So they've really, uh, <laughs> not only have they not been inclusive, but they've harmed themselves in the process. Maybe. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that will sit there and find that ideological bent perfect for their. Oh, agreed. I'm not saying they've turned away everybody because of this, but they have turned some people away because of this. Yep. 
and now is the perfect economic um, state to be exclusive, you know, usher all of those, those people away. At any rate, um, there's a lot of discussion here as well. Please feel free to come back 9 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. We are done for today. This is probably one of the longest shows that we've had. Um, I think we have another article left. Nope. Oh, I saw the tab. <laughs> um, it looked like there was another one. Sorry. Yeah, that's our vote. Um, depending on um, articles that you are interested in, this is actually me testing it. It isn't because literally right before the show started, I had set this up. Um, it'll get refined and... and uh, you can vote on all of the articles that you find interesting. Um, I will remove mine. And the the way that it works is uh, you vote on the articles. They're now here in Omtown itself. I'll even throw that in there. Um, there will be a new link added to the menu um, right here uh, under. It, it'll be changed. Um, the title to this will be changed so that it includes things like the vote. Um, and we will keep this in perpetuity so that uh, you can go back and look at article. Well, you can look at your vote and you can click on uh, links. This will all be links in the near future as well. Um, right now you can actually grab them, but um, vote and let me know that you're interested in various topics so that we can include them in uh, future episodes. In the meantime, stay awesome. I am Merwat. This is Oom Town. Let me go back to the very front page of this. And uh, oh, I'll mash this. That is Oom Town. Bunch of new articles. This is what we do at the end of every show. What to know about the new $14 trillion reparation bill. That is a ton of money. Yes, it is. Um why Microsoft is giving away a Zune MP3 player that's 15 years old and may not work. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. Let's see. Yeah, there's a bunch. There is just so much. And it's never ending. So if you're interested in the topic, definitely go and visit hometown.com. Um, you can subscribe to the topics that you're interested in and uh, then your newsfeed is a little bit different than everybody else's. And uh, hopefully next week our feature will return because it was awesome. It just broke us. <laughs> anyway, again, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com and up there is the AI that keeps me from banging my head against the keyboard endlessly. You wanna say bye? Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's true. Be there. We oh, man. Okay, anyway. See you tomorrow, folks. Bye-bye. See ya, Broldane. Bye.